that is familiar whether you know much about the scriptures or not. It's an uh, account that uh, has popular tradition around it as well. So I think it's a familiar account, but one of the dangers that happens sometimes with a familiar account is we miss some details or we uh, let our understanding of history or tradition uh, sometimes uh, have an inaccurate view of what happened or, or perhaps even miss the point. So this morning we're going to read verses 1 through 12, and then we're going to go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll uh, dive into this account. So let's look at verses 1 through 12 this morning. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this account. We thank you for the scriptures which reveal to us what things were like in the uh, first arrival of Christ and the early days and what happened and how people responded to him. Father, I pray that you'd help us to understand from this passage what you intend to communicate, and I pray that you'd make your word clear, and I pray that you'd help us all to recognize the significance of the Son's arrival on earth and the purpose of his coming. And help us not to miss it. Father, help us to celebrate and rejoice at this time of year, but to do so with understanding based on your truth. And I pray, Father, that if uh, anyone here has not truly come to understand it, that you'd make it clear today. And I pray that this message would be a challenge to all of us to uh, reflect upon our response to your gift in sending your Son. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, in our household, we have uh, a third grader and a second grader. And uh, when each of them went through the second grade, uh, the teacher in the second grade class was teaching them about idioms that they learn in, in the English language that idioms are used. And 
that they begin to understand what all these idioms mean. So an idiom is a phrase that we use and say that doesn't literally mean what the phrase is, right? So um, they've been learning these different phrases. And one example of a phrase like that that applies to our passage today is if it were a snake, it would have bit you. So if you understand that idiom, the idea is that whatever it is you're talking about is so obvious that you shouldn't have missed it, right? But because you were so close to it, it was right there, it was very obvious, but you missed it. If it were a snake, it would have bit you. And if, if you've been a parent or a grandparent, you know you've experienced this with children, right? You, you're telling them where to get something, and they go and they look, and it's right there in their face, and they don't see it, right? It's happened, right? Um, so that concept is actually what this passage, I think, is largely about this morning. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth, and the Jewish people missed it. They didn't understand the significance of it. They failed to recognize what was happening, and then when it's brought to their attention even, they still don't respond the right way to it. So we're going to see this morning as we look at this passage how the, the supposed people of God, the Jewish people at that time, did not recognize the coming of Christ or respond appropriately to it, although these Gentiles, these non-Jewish people who didn't have the scriptures, yet they come from hundreds of miles away to worship the Savior. They recognize the significance of what was happening even though the people of Jerusalem, the Jewish people, did not understand. So what we're going to see in this passage as we go through it this morning is the contrast between how the Jewish people who should have known failed to respond properly to the Savior's coming, and yet these Gentiles from far away who didn't have the scriptures did respond the right way. And I would say we should think about applying this to our own lives as well. There are many in our day also who know all about Jesus Christ and, and even may celebrate Christmas and yet miss the significance of it. So we need to be careful not to be in that same boat. But let's back up to verses 1 through 3 and look there at how the different groups of people, these Gentiles from far away and the Jewish people, responded to the news of the Savior's birth. And what we see is that these Gentiles, though far away, were aware of and excited about the Savior's birth. Let's notice, first of all, the setting, verse 1. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem. So we have the setting here is after the birth of, birth of Christ. I'll say a little bit more about that later. But traditionally, people often think these Magi or these kings from the east, as they're sometimes called, or these from the Orient, um, came to the manger scene. But actually, they come a bit later than that. But it's after Jesus is born, and they're interested in seeing the Savior. They're interested in seeing the one who was born King of the Jews. Now notice, at the time, it was Herod who was king over Jerusalem. Now, what do we know about Herod? What, what we know about Herod is that he was an Edomite. He was not a Jew. He was actually a descendant of Esau. 
If you are uh, familiar with um, the early patriarchs, what we had was Abraham. Abraham had a son. The promised son was Isaac. And Isaac had twin boys, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob was the one through whom the promises were going to be fulfilled of the coming Messiah, not Esau. Esau uh, was the uh, one who sold his birthright. Jacob tricked him out of that. And Jacob also got his uh, blessing as well. So Esau is not from the promised people that would receive the king, and yet this man Herod was the one ruling over Jerusalem at the time. He had been a governor for about 10 years before this, and then he was king over Palestine for about 30 or 33 years during his tenure. But he was famous, actually, for building cities and fortresses and temples. But I think it's significant to note, he was not a Jewish person. And therefore, he was not of the children of Israel and would not, therefore, ultimately be the rightful ruler over Israel. So we have, though, these outsiders, these magi. Who are these people? It says these men from the east arrived in Jerusalem. The meaning of magi is used, it's used a couple times in scriptures, and it means sorcerer um, in those other examples in Acts chapter 8 of Simon and uh, also in Acts 13. Uh, but the basic idea is that these people were astrologers. They studied the stars and were often advisors to king. And we know they're from the East. Tradition has told us lots of different things. Some people have said they're maybe from Arabia. Maybe they're from uh, Oriental places or uh, the Persians perhaps as well. The bottom line is we don't know. And the point of the story, though, is that they're Gentiles. That's the point that Matthew is making. It doesn't matter exactly where they're from. The point is that they were not Jewish people. They were non-Jews. They were those that didn't have the scriptures. They didn't know all the prophecies that were written about Christ's coming. And yet, they were aware of his birth. And they were eager to see him. In contrast to those that had the scriptures and were not excited, weren't even aware so we see these uh, Gentile people. Look at verse 2. It says, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? They're eager to find him. They're eager to see him. It says, For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. These Gentiles, these outsiders, the Magi, are coming to find the baby Jesus who they recognize is the king of the Jews. And notice that they're pointing out by his birth, he is entitled as the king. And yet, the Jewish people did not recognize this, did not understand this. These outsiders did, however. This is a demonstration of faith. They were aware of this baby being born, and they recognized him as the savior of the world, the king of the Jews. And they were there to see him because they saw his star and were led there to come and worship him. But notice the contrast to the Jews who were ignorant about this. They didn't know this. They didn't understand this. They weren't aware, and yet these outsiders were. But notice how the Jewish people respond, verse 3. It says, When Herod the king 
heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Now we can understand Herod would be troubled. Why would Herod be troubled? Because he was the king, right? He was the king, and if there's another king born, that means there's a threat to his power, and humanly speaking, he wants to eliminate that power, right? However, if Herod had converted to Judaism, if he was a follower of God, the coming of the Messiah would have been something he was excited about. Do you remember John the Baptist, how he responded to Christ's coming? John the Baptist preached and had audiences that were come and hear him. And there was a time where people started going to Christ and, and weren't listening to or coming to hear John as frequently. And, and this came to John's attention. He said, I must decrease, but he must increase. See, John was a true follower of Christ, and he wasn't jealous of the attention that Christ got. But Herod was not interested in following Christ or submitting to him. He wanted to retain power for himself. Therefore, this is a threat. And he doesn't want to have his power taken away. But notice also, disturbingly, it's not just Herod that responds this way. We can understand. Herod's not an Israel, Israelite. He's the one in power, but notice the rest of the people as well. It says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, which we understand, and all Jerusalem with him. Here is a people, God's chosen people, who's been promised the coming of the Messiah, and when they get wind that it might be happening, they're troubled by it crazy. God's people, God's chosen race, was supposed to be excited about this. And yet they were troubled. Why would they be troubled? We, we aren't told exactly why they're troubled, but we can assume that perhaps it meant a change. It made a change in leadership. Perhaps they had been comfortable with the leadership that they had and they didn't want to change. Or the thought of a war and the turmoil that would be caused by such a thing. Not certain exactly what their motives were, but the point is the Messiah had come to his people and yet they were troubled instead of excited. And what this account does for us is it foreshadows what's going to happen with the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel rejects Christ. And this is a foreshadowing of how that's going to happen. God's chosen people, the Israelite people, were the ones who should have known and welcomed the Messiah at his coming. And yet they're ignorant. They're not even aware it's happened. We, we read about in Luke that it's the shepherds that first notice him and hear the singing or hear the angels uh, proclaiming his birth and are excited about that. We also read in Luke 2.38 about Simeon and Anna who have been waiting for the coming of Messiah and are excited. And uh, Simeon in particular says, now I can depart in peace because I've seen the salvation of Israel. He's seen the Messiah so he knows he can now... Depart, he can leave, he can die in peace, knowing he's seen the, the Messiah. But other than that, who in Israel has recognized the coming of the Messiah? They've, they've not recognized it. They should have enthusiastically received their Savior, and yet they were troubled at his arrival. How wrong 
their response was. But again, we must make application to ourselves as well. Our nation is full of celebrations. Today, tomorrow, this week, about Christmas. Lots of gift-giving, excitement, and songs about Christ. Even It's amazing, at this time of year, they sing songs about the birth of Christ. And yet, how many people miss the significance of it? Jewish people should have known, but they were not even aware, and they totally missed it. And yet these outsiders, these Gentiles from hundreds of miles away, were aware of it and excited about it and came to see it. But notice also, it was not for a lack of the knowledge of the Scriptures. Look with me in verses 4 through 6. The Jewish people had the Scriptures. They had prophecies about this. Look at verse 4. It says, Herod... Then, in verse 6, gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. So Herod asks the priest, he asks the scribes, the the scribes were the teachers of the law. They were the ones that made copies of the scriptures. So they had access to the scriptures. It's unlike today, where we all have our own copies of the Bible, and we, in, in many cases, have dozens and dozens of copies of the scriptures. They didn't have that in their day. The scribes were the ones that would have access to the Scripture and would make copies of it. So they tended to be very knowledgeable about what the Scripture said. They were an authority on what the Scripture said. And what do they say? They come back with the answer, He's to be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem of Judea, verse 5. For this has been written by the prophet. This is actually uh, a quote from Micah 5.2. He says, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means the least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler, that is, a king, who will shepherd my people Israel. That's speaking of Jesus Christ. They correctly identified where he would be born. They had the scriptures. The Jews were not ignorant. And yet the Magi, who didn't have the scriptures, simply saw his star and came to worship him. They had much less revelation than the Jewish people did. They had very little light, and yet their response was correct. The Jews, however, having all of that scripture, all of that revelation, had not responded correctly. So we see the the outsiders, these magi, these Gentiles, come to worship the Savior in response, even though they didn't have the revelation that the Jewish people did. Notice, thirdly, the response to the prophecy about Christ's coming. Look at verse 7 and 8 and 9. 7, 8, and 9. It says, Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him after... And then verse 9 and and 10. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So we have here the difference in response. Notice Herod calls a secret meeting. He privately calls for the Magi. He wants to find out exactly when they saw this star 
and he wants to know about where the child is. Why does Herod want that information? Well, we know from the rest of the story, which we won't cover this morning, we know that Herod wants to kill the child. Herod wants to kill the child so that his kingdom, his rule, is not uh, interrupted. So Herod has this secret motive to kill the child while, in verse 8, it says that he sends them to Bethlehem. Now, not sure if you know much about the geography of uh, Israel, and I, I don't know that much either, but what I read is that Jerusalem to Bethlehem is about five to seven miles away. Now, they didn't have cars back in those days, so we think five or seven miles, wow, that's uh, just a few minutes to get down the road. Now, if you're walking, it's, it's definitely a more significant trip, but five to seven miles is not far. And yet, what's curious about this is he sends the Magi, and yet here's the people of God who possibly have their Messiah, and not one of them goes. Isn't that shocking? This is supposedly their Messiah, and he's maybe five to seven miles away, and not one is curious enough to go and see him. Amazing. I know it's a familiar account, so we tend to forget the details, but this is shocking. This is the people of God. This is their Savior, their Messiah that's been prophesied about. They know where it's supposed to happen. They have a report that it supposedly has happened, and no one goes. It is a disturbing example of how people who should know the truth reject it and don't want the promise of, of the Messiah, the Savior that God has given. And this should shock us. That's the point of this account is to shock us how the people of God who have been chosen by God to be his, his, his chosen people, they reject the Messiah that's been promised for hundreds of years. They get wind that he's there and they don't even go. And yet, in our day, the same thing happens. There's a lot of knowledge about the Savior. There's a lot of knowledge about salvation. And yet, people don't receive him as their Lord. Perhaps there's even someone here who's heard about Christ. You know what it means to be saved. You know how... You're supposed to, and yet you have not received him. I encourage you, what a wonderful time. What a wonderful time of year it would be to finally bow your knee and trust in Christ, to receive him as your Savior and Lord. These people had the revelation of God. They, they had all the right things, the right circumstances. They have news, and yet they don't go. Don't make the same mistake. Go to Christ. Look, look then how these magi ultimately respond. They not only go and are not only excited about going, notice in verse 11 how they respond to the Savior in seeing him in verse 11. It says, After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures. They presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We see here they reach 
the house. Verse 11, it says, after coming into the house. Now that's your first clue. Our traditions aren't right. He's not at the manger at this point. They're going into a house. That's, it's not the manger scene. So this happens later. So the Magi come into the house where the child is, and he's with his mother, and what do they do? They fall at the ground and worship him. Worship him. Their response to his presence is worship. Their first gift, their first gift isn't the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Their first gift is actually themselves. They offer themselves to the Savior in worship. They worship him. They fall down and worship. Now, think about the incredible faith here. There's a baby, a baby, and yet they recognize by faith this is the Son of God who has become man to rule over the nations. They understand this is the Son of God, and he deserves their worship, and by faith they humble themselves and they worship him. And they give gifts. We, we, we read that they gave gold and frankincense and myrrh. And this has, I, I think, perpetuated another tradition that may or may not be true. We're not sure. It doesn't tell us there were three magi. I know we just sang the song. I, but we're not told it was three. We assume it was three because there were three gifts. But that may or may not have been the case. We have gold, gold for a king. Frankincense was, a, uh, was used for incense or sacrifice to God. I, I believe it could be a picture here of Christ being the sacrifice for the world. He was to give his life. Though he came to earth, became man, and lived a perfectly sinless life in full obedience to the Father, yet he died on the cross, not because he did anything wrong or just because that's what humans do, the Bible tells us that death is the result of sin. He died on the cross as our sacrifice. He never sinned. He didn't deserve to die. He died as our substitute. He died in our place. And this gift of frankincense, speaking to his sacrifice for God, and myrrh is, uh, was used for embalming dead bodies and, and, and symbolizes uh, his future death that was to come. These men were used by God in bringing their gifts. They recognized by faith that this is the Son of God who was the promised Messiah that was the King of the Jews, the Savior of the world. And they responded the right way by worshiping Him. And yet, where are the Jewish people? Where's the worship of the Jewish people here? It's absent. It's absent. Again, foreshadowing the rejection of the Jewish nation of their promised Messiah. Thus, uh, to quote uh, one of the authors I read, thus one born in obscurity is recognized by unlikely devotees as the future king of Israel. The child whose birth was shrouded in suspicion in chapter 1 because it was a virgin birth, is in fact God's legitimate appointee. On the other hand, the legal rulers, both political and religious, by clinging to positions of power and prestige, prove themselves to be illegitimate in God's eyes. 
So thinking about this whole account, what a rebuke to the Jewish people of that day. They had not even noticed the birth of the Messiah nearby them. They were concerned over only they were concerned over the news but aren't even curious enough to go when it's only 5 to 7 miles away. These magi were Gentiles that had come hundreds of miles. The Jews are ignorant of the Messiah's presence and give him no gifts. These Gentiles, however, give expensive gifts, worthy of a king, and yet, even more importantly, humbly offer themselves in worship. This is the Messiah, the promised king of the Jews, and yet the Jews missed it. What a rebuke that the Gentiles from many miles away come to worship him while they are ignorant, troubled, disturbed, and passive in response to him. But we need to be careful not to be guilty of missing the Savior too. Have you heard all about Jesus all your life? Have you heard the gospel and you know it? You know that you need to bow the knee in humble submission to him and receive him as your Savior and Lord, but resisted? Don't make the same mistake. The Jews should have known. They should have recognized, but didn't. We in this culture have a full explanation of the gospel, and sure, there are false messages out there, and there are perversions, but we have the truth. We have the scriptures. We know Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came to become man so that he'd live that perfect life in submission to the Father, and he died on the cross to pay for our sins, and he rose again, showing that that payment was made in full, and we need to respond to that in faith, trusting him as our Savior and Lord, believing on him. He is the only way to have eternal life. We can miss eternal life in spite of all that knowledge and all that we have been told. Don't be like the Jewish people. Receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you know him and you have received him, repeatedly, day after day, we need to bow our knee in submission and humbly worship him and serve him with our lives. So as we go about our weekend, our our extended weekend, if you will, with Christmas tomorrow, may it be a time of celebration where we rejoice in the Savior. We, We recognize the purpose, the point of it all, and celebrate that. Don't miss it. Don't be like that idiom we say, and, and if it were a snake, it would have bit you. Don't miss the point. Trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you have trusted him, live for him, worship him, and rejoice in this season because God is good and he deserves our praise for his gift of giving his son that we can have life through his name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know this is a familiar story, and we did go a little long this morning, but I pray, Father, that the significance of the message would not be lost. Father, if there are any that don't know you, I pray that you'd help them to come to know you and not miss it like these people we read about did. Father, help us all to rejoice in our Savior and recognize he is the reason for this season, but it wasn't just that he would come and be born, but ultimately, Father, we rejoice that he died for us, that he gave his life for us, and we can have life through his name. 
Help us, Father, rejoice in your goodness to us. And, Father, we pray that you'd illumine, you'd open the eyes of those that are in danger of missing it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.